And we're going to get there in, in just a minute. Uh, we're going to bounce around a lot today, and that's not even really a, a main text. Um, we have a whole bunch of texts that we're going to go through. But just before we begin this, we do want to say there have been a lot of shenanigans this week with birthdays and anniversaries and, and whatnot. And so um, this sounds self-seeking, but it's not because somebody asked me to do it. Uh, on Tuesday, Shayla and I celebrated 14 years of marriage and 10 years since we met Smonga. So that was an exciting thing for us. Yesterday, Daniela's birthday, 25 or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, and then somebody else had an anniversary too. Who was it? Someone who's not here. There was someone else from our church who had an anniversary this week. So I have forgotten who they are, and I didn't write it down. But so, And Deb T. also had her birthday. And she... There we go. See, there's so much. And so uh, Sharon and Ernie aren't here, so they don't get any uh, congratulations. But if, uh, oh, and who else? And Doug. See, like, look at this. It's like birthday week. Okay, so Lee, where are you at? It's happy birthday time. This is your job. To you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. All right. Uh, You know, it's a fun thing. We have a, I don't know, we have a really awesome church family. And uh, and I'm so privileged to be a part of it. So if you're visiting here this morning, I, I hope that you feel the same way. I, I, I hope you're encouraged and challenged and, and feel welcomed here. But I hope you miss home as well. And I hope you miss your church family. Um, again, this is the, the awkward sermon of where, especially if you're visiting, man, I'm sorry, you picked a rough week. But I promise we're not going to talk about, and I said, we're not going to pass the plates out again. We're not going to ask for more money. Um, But what we do want to look at is all through August, we've been looking at stewardship. What has God given us and, and what has he called us to? And so let me just give you a brief catch-up because we're going to go back to this again this morning as as Lee referenced. In the beginning of this, we talked about the stewardship of our spiritual gifts. So if you have submitted your heart to Christ, if you have made him Lord and Savior, the scriptures teach us that you have been given the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has is to equip you uniquely for ministry. In other words, you have been given at least one specific way in which you are to work with the body of Christ, that Christ would be exalted, that we would make Christ known in our community, and that we would serve one another. And so we talked a lot about this. this, If you're not using your gift within the context of of ministry within your church family, then others are having to, to to work even harder And that's when things like burnout, frustration, disillusionment, all those things come in. But when we're working together, as and Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12, the example of of the physical body. When the body is working well together, we don't even notice, right? But it's when we get hurt or when we're not able to use a a finger or a, a limb or something, all of a sudden we recognize the other stress and the other tension that's put on the body. And so God has called us together with purpose and, and meaning. And as I was studying for this morning specifically, I was overcome with this reminder that I think at the, at the end of the day, here's the biggest challenge that all of us face. Is that we live in a time where we don't think we need to rely on God. But 
we think we can do it on our own. The things that are most important in our lives, we've put to second or third or fourth place. And the things that aren't as important, we've elevated. And so if you're a Christian this morning and if you're wrestling and you're going, man, I don't even, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And my challenge to you is, is wrestle that through and find out. Because that's the way God has called you uniquely for you to serve the body of Christ and to make Christ known. And we want to be a church that does that uh, together. We want to be a church that gathers, that worships, but that does service. That, that you would know, that each of you would know that you are cared for. That you are loved. And that the primary concern we have for one another is our spiritual health and maturity. Uh, our primary concern is that we would get to worship Christ in all of eternity together as one family. That is what's most important. And as such, God has given you a gift for that. Then we looked at uh, another concept that, man, this unloaded all kinds of conversation this past week, is a discussion on the stewardship of our time. We looked at Ephesians 5 where it says to make the best use of the time. And I talked about how that one tiny little verse in Ephesians uh, has so many implications and was so deeply convicting for me. I challenged us with our verbiage and, and saying, not that, oh, I don't have time for that, but recognizing that all of us have been given the exact same amount of time. We're all in the same boat together. And so the issue is, where do our priorities lie? What is most important to us? Because that which is most important, we'll find time to do. But the things that are less important, well, they are that. They become less important. How many of you... Um, Maybe this is a condemning question. How many of you, like me, have a million post-it notes on your desk or on your fridge or something? No, it's just me. Okay. So, a to-do list maybe in your phone, a little app where you're like, man, these are the things that I need to accomplish. The things that are important, we knock off. The things that are less important, or sometimes that we feel are less important in that moment, I don't need to do the dishes today until I literally have no dishes left. And then all of a sudden you notice it jumps up in priority. Well, looking at it from a spiritual context is, are we making the best use of the time? Is our efforts and is our focus in the building up of the church? Spending time in, in scripture, studying that we might know the word of God, that we might love God more for who he is and how he has revealed himself to us. Do we spend time in prayer or do we spend time playing video games and watching TV? And the point is not that we can't have hobbies or that entertainment in and of itself is bad. The point is just to recognize and evaluate regularly that our world is preaching to us a world of entertainment. But our world is also preaching to us a world of instant gratification. And the Christian life is not one of instant gratification at all. It's the long road. It's looking forward to when we're with Christ forever, when all wrongs will be made right, when there will be no more tears, when there will be no more pain. That's what we look forward to, but I think especially in our culture, we have a hard time looking beyond immediate and right now. So this morning, we move into another topic, and like I said, this, this is a challenging topic for me because it can appear very self-serving. I'm fully aware that I make my living by preaching the gospel and, and doing the various things that a pastor does. And my goal here is not in one 
for one second for you to think that I'm asking that I need more. This church family is incredible and is taking care of us incredibly well. And we have need of nothing. Praise the Lord for that. But our church also has various ministries and various um, ways in which we try to reach out to the community that Christ would be made known, but also ways in which we can serve and help one another as we learn how to journey together as Christians. The unfortunate reality is that some of those things, they have a monetary cost to them. Just like in our own lives as well, and you all know this way too well, is food costs a lot nowadays. And we got to eat. And sometimes we would rather be doing things that bring us joy than things that, oh, just are there to pay the bills. It's going to be another sermon for another time, but we can find joy in both of those things. The goal here is not to teach so that our bank account would get more or that so the plate would be fuller. The intent of this is that each one of us as Christians would look look internally into our hearts and ask the question, God, am I stewarding well the gifts that you have given me? Am I caring about how I use practical things like my financial resources for your kingdom and not my kingdom? If you're visiting this morning, right, again, the goal is not that you just support all of our ministries. My goal is that you go home and that you support your ministries in your local churches. That you get excited about what it means to declare Christ and to make him known. That your focus would be razor sharp to go, yes, I have a job and I have obligations that I have to fulfill and all these things, but they all pale in comparison to eternity. So I want others to know Christ. I want to serve him well. And so I want to look at various scripture passages that teach us a few things about not only financial stewardship, but where it comes from in the first place. And so I want to read to you a few verses before we get to Matthew. But in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, we have this very interesting uh, story. We don't have time to read it all, but here's the response that is written. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given. Notice that last sentence. Where do all things come from to begin with? From God. Everything belongs to him, and what he has given you is nothing more than a gracious gift that he has chosen to give you. See, this flies in the face a little bit of what we think in our culture now, where we work hard and we get what we have and we've worked hard for it, and so we want to be very careful how we use it. We should be careful. We should use wisdom. But think of somebody in a remote part of the world who has to walk two or three miles every day just to find clean water. Are they not working incredibly hard? And yet, we might say, well, they're not blessed from God the way that we are. I'm going to argue later on that maybe our financial resources are actually more of a test than a blessing. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. As I was meditating on that verse, 
a truth that I'm sure I've known, but was, it came to my mind in a, in a more serious sense, I guess, is this, is I have no ownership over anything that I have been given. It belongs to God. It's his in the first place. Everything that I have, I should hold with open hands because it's not mine. It's, it's been given to me that I might steward it well and is the best use of my financial resources that God has given me for my own benefit or for the benefit of others, for the edification of others. Again, we live in a very egocentric culture where it's about you and what you deserve, which flies exactly in the face of the gospel. According to scripture, all I deserve is actually death. But God has gifted me life. God hasn't saved me and given me things so that I might use them strictly for myself, but that I would use them for the kingdom of God so that the kingdom would grow. So I think it's important for us to recognize that no matter how hard you work today, the only reason you have what you have is because God has graciously given it to you. Sorry, Acts 17, 24, and 25, Paul writes this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What has God given us? Literally everything. I say this all the time, but it bears repeating, is the fact that God needs nothing from me and yet has chosen me to be a part of his family to accomplish his purposes is a deeply humbling and amazing truth. God does not need any one of us to accomplish his purposes. And yet he's called us into that family. What a beautiful truth. Yes, there's stewardship, but there's also honor in the fact that God has said to me, Greg, will you be part of what I am doing in the world? And God has said the same to you. How will you use what you have been given? So everything belongs to God in the first place. Everything we've been given is a gift from him to be used graciously. And as implied in the 1 Chronicles 29 verse, is that we're called to give it back to God in various ways to accomplish his purposes. But there's an even more, well, maybe not even more, just as important truth found in Proverbs 11, verse 4, that we need to take to heart, and it's this. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but the righteous, but the righteousness delivers from death. Maybe a way to say it is this, is money doesn't save you, and you can't take it with you. Money has a way of corrupting us more than anything in our culture. Money has a way of showing us how individually focused we are. Jesus flies in the face of that in Matthew 6. This is 19 to 21, and you know, I'm sure many of you know these verses well. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
again, that is one of the more convicting couple of verses in all of Scripture. Where does my heart lie? Am I storing up for myself things on earth that I will only be able to use for a short time? And do I think that I need the next best thing when it comes out or the next technological release of some kind and go, man, I need that. And we can justify it and say, well, that, that'll, that'll actually give me more time. But do we ever have more time as we talked about last week? Again, I'm not saying buying things is wrong. We have responsibilities. We're going to talk about that again in a moment. But is there our focus more on eternity than it is on the earth? Are we trying to lay up for ourselves treasures in eternity? And I, I treasures, I don't mean by thinking that you'll have a bigger house than your neighbor in heaven. If that's our goal, then we misunderstand the whole point to begin with. According to scripture, is what we do, well, let me ask the question, is what do you do with your treasures when you stand before Jesus in eternity? What does Revelation teach us? You lay them down at his feet. Everything that you have stored up for yourselves in heaven, you are going to give to Jesus because he is of infinite worth. There's great news in that. That means that when we get into eternity together, what do we have that belongs to us? Nothing. We're all in the same boat together. And so as I was reflecting, where, where are my treasures stored up? Am, am I working for the sake of the gospel? Am I giving to the ministry of the local church and other parachurch organizations that are doing good work, that are trying to bring people to Christ, that they might be with him for eternity? Or am I more focused on here and now? We're really good at comparing ourselves, aren't we? My neighbor has that. Oh, that'd be nice to have. Neighbor has a bigger truck, bigger house, more fun toys. And so, so much of our minds and our hearts and then our finances are used in ways to make us fit in with the culture that we live in. And again, my goal is not that you walk out here and you sign your bank account over to a church or a parachurch organization. My goal is that you steward well what God has given you, both for the immediate and for the long term to what God has called you for. Paul warns us about finances and, and money in 1 Timothy 6.10 with these words. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We know that part. But have we read what follows? It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, Paul's warning and saying, Timothy, your church, there are people there, and some of them have consumed their hearts with money to the place where money has become not only idolatry, but idolatry that has put away their faith, and they've run after the things of the world. If we love money, we're going to search for it. We're going to try and earn more of it. We will crave it. Should we not crave God and intimacy with Jesus far more than we do our finances? Again, none of this is to say that we shouldn't think about it. 
In fact, there's a great deal of Scripture talking about the wisdom of how to use it. And I'm going to use this analogy is that money is like a tool in your toolbox and is probably an important tool, but it's just one tool. And it can be used for good or for harm. In our young adults group going through 2 Timothy, uh, the, the kind of speaker in that video talked about a claw hammer. How many have used a claw hammer before? Are we dating some people here? What is it used for? Either construction or destruction, right? One tool to build up or to tear down. Now, in construction, tear down is very important sometimes. But in our own life, are we using money only as a tool to accomplish the things that God has called us to? Or are we abusing it so that I'm getting everything that I want and everything that I need? We know this, those of you who are parents, you know this as you have little children that grow up, is you don't give them everything they want because that would not benefit them. But many of us maybe remember this. When you moved out on your own for the very first time and your little debit card or your phone to tap or whatever it is, is you're in control of every penny. And no one's looking over your shoulder telling you where you should spend your money. I remember moving home for a summer after I was uh, an adult uh, in Bible college. I say adult, but you know, I was technically old enough to be an adult. And, um, and I remember coming home, and, and this is back in the day when we had, well, we still have it, but you know, you get a paper, how many still get paper, no, don't answer that question, paper envelope of all my expenditures on my credit card, and there was too many pages that, that I don't want to admit, and my mom was uh, sitting there reading through where I spent my money, and I, those of you who know me well know I have a terrible memory, but I remember this moment. My mom looked at me and she said, Greg, well, she probably said Gregory because, you know, parents, right? Full name comes out. She said, you only spend all of your money on yourself and your stomach. And my thought immediately was, of course, what else is there? Now, my parents had taught me way better and I knew how to be responsible with money, at least theoretically. But as soon as that became my own to use, what was in my heart, became external on a piece of paper that condemned me real bad. All my focus was on me. I am very thankful for one, that God did not bless me with an ability to make a lot of money for a long time. Because I, it probably would have done the same thing to me as it did to these folks in Timothy. It would have competed for my affections with Jesus and I probably would have ran after wealth. So sometimes we can look at people and we can see, man, like, God has financially blessed them. They are blessed people. But on the flip side, we can look at that too and say, praise the Lord that he did not give me the things that I wanted. Because I was not ready for the maturity that was needed with it. The writer of Ecclesiastes learned, that, learned the hard way that money does not satisfy. In 5 verse 10, says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity, or if you use a more 
paraphrase translation, this too is meaning. How much money is enough? I think the answer usually is a little bit more. We sometimes think that if I have this, if I reach this, you know, paycheck line, or if, if I have an, this much money in the bank or something, then, then it'll be okay. And when we do that, our focus is not on God, trusting him for what's ahead of us. It's on trusting us. Now, again, there is, there is good wisdom with stewardship of investing and having finances to to work for in the future and i'm not saying we shouldn't do that all i'm simply asking is that we evaluate regularly regularly that we read these scripture passages and that we that we look at and go do i love money more than i love jesus now hopefully the answer is obviously no but but what if you know somebody like your mom was sitting there reading how you spend your money what would they say would the objective person look at your life and say they use their money not only for themselves, but for the kingdom of God? Again, money is a tool. Now, all of this goes back to what I said that very first week. All of this comes back to our spiritual gifts. I know some people who God has gifted in ways where it seems like no matter how horrible their idea is, they turn it into profit. And no matter how good of an idea I have, no, I'm just kidding, that's not true. But some people have been blessed with this entrepreneurial spirit in them, and and they've been able to accumulate wealth in, in crazy ways. But here's also my experience, is many of those people in the church who have been gifted that way are also the most generous people I have ever met. Shayla and I can say for certain that if something bad were to happen and we had to move away or, or end up somewhere apart from here is that there are so many faithful men and women who serve Jesus that would step up and that they would help us. And I know that. I know that they're there to help, not because we are something special, but because they view everything that they have as a gift of God that is to be used for God. Like I said, it's probably a good thing that I haven't been able to make money. By the way, if you want to make a lot of money, probably don't go into ministry. Sorry, did I say that out loud? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're well taken care of. But I think that God has a unique way of doing things. And I think this is one of the reasons that God put Shayla in my life. Is because I would want to keep everything and Shayla would rather give everything away. Acts 20, 35 quotes from Jesus and we know this well. It says, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. And perhaps you've had that moment where you've been able to give a timely gift in a timely way that you didn't even know was needed and somebody was so overwhelmed with that gift regardless of what size or or what it was, but you got to see God use you in that moment and you realize that, that is a blessing. Do we hold on to things tightly or do we hold everything with open hands? How do we spend our money? In the Old Testament, there are all kinds of tithes and offerings that were commanded to be given. 
In Leviticus 27, it talks about giving 10% of all your hard-earned labor to God. And, and oddly enough, in this one verse, is this is how many people have viewed what tithes and offerings in today's world look like. But what's interesting to me is if you keep reading through Leviticus and keep reading through the first five books of the Bible, what you'll find is the various tithes and offerings that are compiled, there was actually closer to 20% than it was 10%. But there seems to be this general rule of, I give 10%. Here's the challenge that we see in the New Testament. Is the principle is true is we are to give the first fruits of what we have been given to God. For his purposes, for his use. Back then, far more than in our culture now, it was because what you had was all you had to rely on. And what you were giving, you were saying, God, I trust you with everything. Now maybe that doesn't ring the same way. But then in the New Testament, we get so many passages that talk about generosity. And here's one thing that none of them do is none of them give us a formula with how to use our money. None of them tell us, here's how much, or here's when, or here's how. At least not ex exclusively. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, Paul writes this. He gives us a principle. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, if you're sitting there one day, the offering plate comes by, and out of guilt or out of obligation, you start writing a check or you put some money in there, then take it back because God doesn't need it in the first place. But on the flip side, that doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to it. What it means is that we should go home and we should wrestle with our own hearts and go, God, am I giving reluctantly? Am I giving to you because I know I have to? Well, you don't, because everything is God's anyway. Or do we view it that I get to be a part of what God is already doing? When we see a worthwhile organization, when we see um, a parachurch or, or, or a ministry within the church pop up and something go, and we look at it and we go, man, I, I want to be part of that because I believe in what it's going to accomplish and what it's going to be about. Are we cheerful about giving? Or do we hold on and go, man, I guess I have to write this 10% check today. So how much should I give and, and, and when should I give? Should I just give it all so that I don't have any responsibility for anything that, that you know, I, well, the Bible speaks to that too. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, we read this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Now, there's context in that verse. The context is this, is there's people that were responsible to care for especially, but not only, their aging and elderly parents. And what they were doing is they were essentially handing them off to the church saying, well, they're part of the church, the church will care for them so that I can spend my money on my family. And Paul rebukes them in that, and he says, no, yes, the church does exist to help those who have need. But if you can meet that need for somebody, especially when he's your relative, then do not hand them off to somebody else. In fact, those verses get real uncomfortable if you read that passage. 
maybe in our culture more than any culture that's ever existed, is that's what we like to do is hand people off to other people for others. You deal with it. But are we caring for our family? And by that, I don't just mean your parents who are elderly or your kids. Are you caring for your church family? Are you caring for your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Now, here's the thing that we talked about at our board retreat, and one of the things that we're going to instill moving forward. We don't have all the details about this figured out yet. But we're going to put regular meals together where we sit together, where we eat together, because food has a way of breaking down some borders. The only way I'm going to know that you have a need is if you tell me and vice versa. The only way that I'm going to tell you that I have a need is when I trust you. We want to become a church that cares for each other. I remember reading a book, um, and the elders were wrestling through some of these financial things, and they all looked at each other in that moment, and they all said, and I'm not trying to say that this is what we should do, I'm just trying to show you what God was doing in their hearts, is they all said to each other, you don't need life insurance anymore, because if you passed away, I would bring your family into my family, and they would care, be cared for for the rest of their lives. Now, I'm not saying no one should have life insurance. Don't hear that. What I am saying is if somebody you in your family was hurting and you knew they were hurting, would you step in? Would you care for them? If somebody was killed in a car accident and they didn't have a will, would you step in and go, I will do everything I can to care for my brothers and my sisters because they are part of my family? Why have we been given much in our culture when so much of the other parts of the world have give, been given so little? I think because we've been challenged. Are we going to steward well? I remember hearing a quote from Francis Chan where he said this, we may need to live more simply so that others can simply live. Banff is a tricky thing because when we live here, a lot of people find it very difficult financially speaking because housing is difficult, finding a place to live is difficult, finding appropriate jobs, all those things. A and yet, if you're sitting here this morning, as in all likelihood, statistically speaking, you're in the top 1% of the world financially. Do we think about that, or do we just think relative to here and go, well, there's lots more rich people than me, so I'm good. I'll let them help. Or are we willing to evaluate our own hearts and to say, God, what little that I have right in this moment, I'm willing to give to you of everything, whatever you call, because whatever you call is better than what I'm going to call for. We want to be a church that stewards well. Again, my goal is not that our bank account goes up. My goal is that we're able to meet the needs that we see in our community. My goal is that when we, as a church board, sit down and somebody brings an idea to us that we can say, man, that's a great idea. We want to we help you in that journey to accomplish that purpose. I want to be people, I want to be a church that regularly evaluates our spiritual gifts, our time, our finances, Everything that God has given us through the lens of what we talked about in Scripture. First, everything already belongs to God anyway. He doesn't need me, but he's calling me. None of these things can save me, only Jesus.
And so will I both immediately look at how I can meet the needs of those around me, but would I also use wisdom and discernment that comes from God through his scriptures to say, how has God wanted me to live in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? But here's what I don't want. And we actually wrestled with this as a, as a church board at length. Is we didn't want to take whatever money we had and put it in some 20-year investment long term that we wouldn't be able to access now. But we also wanted to be good stewards of what finances we did have. And so we wrestled with where are we going to put things and how are we going to put things? Because if everything's tied up in the future and there's immediate needs that we can't meet, then we're not doing what Scripture has called us to. But if we give everything right now to what we think is good and we're not listening to what God is calling us in two, three, five, ten years' time, then we're not listening either. And so this is the challenge of it, and this is where I don't have one Scripture passage for you to go, here's how much to give, here's when to give, and here's how to give. Because there is no such scripture because Jesus, uh, God in his infinite wisdom, realized that that is legalism and we're real good at legalism. So he calls us to use our hearts for him. And so my goal as we leave here is that you go home and that you have real awkward, uncomfortable conversations at the dinner table with your family. And you say, how are we using our money? What are we trying to accomplish with it? Do we see value in the ways in which we're using it, or should we reevaluate everything? Just like I said last week, is we should be evaluating our time regularly, not once or twice a year. The same is true of our finances. You know, it's really interesting how God works. Is last week, I got a text from somebody that I haven't, uh, we used to pastor in, in the church that they're in, and this is years ago, I haven't heard from them in a long time. And this text came in and said, God has given us a gift of a certain amount of money. She didn't tell me how much. She said, I'm really struggling with how I should steward this well for God's purposes. And then I look and I'm like, oh, (laughs) I guess here's what we're studying this week. This has been on the calendar for months. But God, in his wisdom, knows, Greg, here, we're going to make this personal. This isn't going to be hypothetical. And so I don't know, and I'm thankful that I don't know, and please don't tell me. I don't know how much money you have in your bank account. Don't want to know. But what I do want to know is are we people who are committed to serving Jesus with everything that we have been given? Is Christ most important? Practically speaking, would our friends and our family and those who see us, would they go, man, they hold everything they have with open hands. They're so willing to give or to let people or to have that be used. That's what I hope we become. And I hope that as we go home and as we have these conversations that God would give us great wisdom, that we would know how to use well what he's given us. Let's pray. God, this can be a a challenging topic because we live in a world that values money so highly. And we know that money is, uh, as my parents used to always say, a necessary evil in our lives. Because we got to eat. we got to take care of our family. And you have called us to that. And we want to do that well, but we don't want to do that well at the expense of many others around us. 
And so, God, I pray as we go home today, as we wrestle through possessions and finances and budgets, that our focus would be that we want to honor you with everything, that we would seek your wisdom with how to use what we have right now and how we should use for saving for the future. God, most importantly, I want to ask that we would become a church that we care for one another deeply. That we love each other. And that we would use the gifts, spiritually, the time, and the financial gifts that you have given us, not for our own benefit primarily, but for the benefit of others. So God, would you show us how to do that in the coming days and weeks ahead? Thank you for this church, for their generosity, for their faithfulness. But may we be a church that evaluates regularly our hearts so that you would receive honor and glory from us. That is our heart's cry. God, go with us. Teach us. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.